You're listening to Gurus Book Club and Self-Improvement Podcast, hosted by Andy and Brian. And the quote of the day is, don't hide baby monsters under the carpet. Jordan B. Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. What an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. That's from uh, Rule 10, be precise in your speech. Baby monsters. Now, of course, he's talking about things, issues. Yes. It's an analogy. Yes, that for very important things in our lives. Right. And baby monsters meaning that it's things that are major that can turn into huge dragons and tear your whole world down by being not talked about. Yeah. I mean, I liked that he brought up that book about the dragon. I forget the name of it. We you know, um he, he states the name and the authors in this chapter so go back and listen to it or go back and read it again it's in uh rule 10 um and this particular quote was from page 281 if you're reading it um but i remember that story as a kid i remember reading it and then seeing the picture of the mom moving around this massive uh dragon and you know the dragon getting up with the house and going like i remember this story well and i like revisiting it as an adult i think kids books they're more for adults than for the kids <laughs> i think that's what that's what makes a good child's book and that's what made fables such a popular thing because they had things for children to learn so that as an adult they could keep that story going and it was simplistic enough for everyone to understand and to know give moral it had a moral value at the end of it like don't lie and don't let like in this case you know talk about the things yeah <laughs> talk about yeah. the things and stuff talk about it don't be right don't have willful ignorance and i think we we brought that up a little while back in another podcast episode right but um he really is talking about just don't avoid there are going to be things that happen that is uncomfortable that are not okay things that you will tell yourself oh no that's fine i can deal with it it's okay and honestly that's just gonna grow it's gonna get big it's gonna become uh a very big stumbling block in your relationship with people in your work you know even with yourself like just ignoring a problem and pretending it's not there but you you just like in the story of this dragon you are literally going to be doing things differently and having to move around and scoot around things to maintain this false sense of security. 
that's the that's the one thing that it goes back to somewhat the same lying context where lies build this but this is also even within the truths that we think that we're keeping you know and them then turning into a huge dragon that is you know and you trying to still trying to avoid it and act like it doesn't exist even though it's flying around and you know it's still it's still there and you now it's so big that everybody even everybody else notices it too and you're still trying to be you know it's not that big it's not that bad it's not it's not that bad sometimes and and i think that that's why going to counseling I was talking to somebody about this and we can talk, this is from a therapeutic perspective and mm -hmm. the way our society looks at therapy and why people don't discuss these things. And some of it is because I don't want to seem crazy. I don't want to seem like I don't have my stuff together. I don't want to seem like I'm not fully a complete person. And if I admit that I'm not a complete person or that something happened to me, or then people will judge me and think that I'm not good. And I think that that fear drives people to end up with baby dragons and mama dragons and yeah. things that take over their lives. And then it gets so big that they then are forced to come to a therapist, but only after it's so manifested in, and sometimes it's like taking over their entire life to the point to where everything they do is about this. It's, it's their identity it, now. It becomes their identity. It's, it's that, and I guess the best way that I can describe it is somebody who has some deep trauma that they don't deal with and it festers and boils and, but everything, because they never solved it for themselves or ever talked about it and expressed it, and be able to move forward with it healthy mm -hmm. that it became an unhealthy manifestation that their entire life was centered around. And then they're most of their life, they're spending an avoidance of that issue of anything that even triggers them to do that. that and, and because they are so sideswiped by it, they, they don't have much of a life. They're always in fear of somebody finding out. And even if it isn't, they, they have a tendency to, well, nobody will find out if I do this. So they just live a completely life that tries to not have anything that reminds them of this. So that they're, it's just interesting. And that's exactly what he's think he's talking about. Yeah. And, you know, I really liked that, that chapter. Um, I thought it was, it was pretty concise. And, and a lot of the things that he brought up in it um, wasn't as, I think tangential as other things, you know, he, he wasn't just going off on weird <laughs> angles and then somehow looping it back in together. Like I felt like things flowed a little bit better in that chapter, chapter 11 or rule 11, I would argue was definitely like all over the place. Like went off in one direction that I was kind of like, how does this even connect to the, his, his rule of not bothering children when they are skateboarding. And I am referring to his, his, his tangents of uh, basically male privilege and cultural expectations and, and things like that. Um, it seemed to get a little well, bit more. This political. is, this is what, but this is the interesting <laughs> thing. 
But this is the interesting thing. And you said something very, it's interesting how even somebody who is trying to take a therapeutic approach has a tendency to still bring it to black and white that this is, and, and I don't know if that all people do this, but most of the books that we've read, they're trying to convey an idea. Yes. But it's interesting that in sometimes it's very black and white for them still. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it. Sorry, I, I, I was going to say, I will say I appreciate Jordan Peterson's tendency to point out his belief. This is, this is something I don't believe or something I do believe, you know, whereas a lot of the times um, I, I think in other works, maybe people tend to present it as just fact. And he does tend to lay it out there. This is my opinion. <laughs> so I do appreciate that about him. In some instances, he doesn't do that. But a lot of the time, he'll he'll just share, like, I don't believe this. <laughs> but would you read a book that was presented as though it was lukewarm? And that, I, I do think that he, that's maybe the truth in this, too. That if you were to say, you know, it could be this or it could be that you probably wouldn't read much of a book that no. didn't have some very big statements because he's being looked to as an authority. And when you're looked to as an authority, you have to have kind of a statement about what you've seen to be mm -hmm. that this is as an authority, what I've seen, and this is how we can do it better. Yeah. And, and I think true. that's the way I mean, he's presented. You, you need to draw people in. Maybe he was doing that for that purpose. Um, and he, he uh, well, so anyways, getting back to what I was saying about with the tangents, right? So we go on a tangent yes. about the tangent, <laughs> uh, which is totally cool. I mean, you know, that's natural conversation right there. But um, I did find it contradictory in a sense that here in chapter 10, we're saying, look, don't avoid, like, don't push emotions. Don't push these things under. If you're afraid, if there's, you know, there's these things that need to be addressed, address them, right? And he brings in, you know, in, in chapter 9 and chapter 10 or rule 9 and rule 10, he brings up a lot more his clinical experiences and working with clients and what's going on, which I as a therapist um, really enjoyed. And I was able to connect with a lot of that. Um, but then he brings up in, in, you know, rule 11 that, basically men need to be men they need to be these more um rough and tumble because that's who they are and that um they need to be that way because that's what women want and actuality right they want someone that's stronger and, and whatnot at least equal because women don't want to be taking care of another child in their spouse you know so he's bringing this up and it's like so men need to like you know, assert their, their dominance, so to speak, is kind of what I got. But then it's like men that do the opposite, you know, have these more emotional approaches are viewed as weaker. So in essence, coming to therapy would be showing weakness, which he advocates for coming to therapy, he advocates for being precise and, uh, and addressing these issues and, and coming forward with it. Um, 
and yet at the same time is stating that to be um, balanced, to be healthy, to for society to do well, men need to be these more aggressive and physical and rowdier, boundary pushing type of people. It's interesting, isn't it? And I, it's an interesting quagmire. You know, you think about it and you go, hmm, what does that, what does that mean when we talk about things like that? What is it? What are we, I, I, I'm caught up in the, that this is a interesting subject matter because there was the way that we were raised maybe. And I don't know if you were raised the same way where males were supposed to be dominant and strong and women were supposed to be the milder sex. Um, mm -hmm. And yet agreeable. Right. So it's a, it's a, but then I know that I have been with women in relationships where if I showed too much emotion, they left me because they didn't know what to do with it. Or it was, you're too emotional, too sensitive. I can't deal with a, that kind of problem. Now, what I took of it was that I needed to be more confident in myself. And that didn't matter what person I was trying to attract. That was just something I needed to be for myself. I don't know what the answer is here. Because I've thought about this quite a bit because I do believe that there is a sense that we are all similar and that we need to recognize that. But there is also another point that to celebrate femininity and masculinity. And that's sometimes what I think that we can take away from something like this is that we can celebrate it without saying that it's weak or stronger, but we can celebrate masculinity and that we may all have some of those traits and it's okay to be masculine you know i grow a beard not because um i'm a male and i'm going to be but i enjoy that masculinity i enjoy mm -hmm. my beard i enjoy the things that go along with it i sometimes think that we have a tendency to want to equalize it so much that we downplay masculinity but well, yet thing because yeah sorry i go go ahead go ahead off i was just gonna say like equalizing um i don't know it's impossible one because and quite literally and you know I could get in trouble here um meanwhile i am a little bit more liberal in my beliefs but probably not liberal enough for some and then in my conservative areas i'm probably not conservative enough you know so it's like i'm a fence sitter okay fine i'll, I'll gladly take that because i believe in the yin and yang and balance and all things and that you can't have extremes if you're on a tightrope and you lean too far to the right or too far to the left you fall and if you're high enough up you die so balance is key i'm going to repeat that again if you lean far too far to the right or too far to the left if you're on a balancing beam, you will fall. And it could have some dire consequences. Okay, so with that said, um, I mean, we have 
there are are literal differences right like between um men and women you know i have a beard my wife does not she cannot literally grow a beard does that make me better than her no it's just you know different and we need those differences like and and this is what's really confusing to me is that you know we 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 have a lot of people saying about like let's let's embrace diversity um but then it goes to the extreme where uh like a group of people is maybe now excluded because you know and, and and in that point he is talking perhaps rightly so right that white men are now kind of becoming the uh the target in a lot of ways meanwhile it's been white men who have dominated so isn't it fair to allow these other groups some limelight let them you know be represented right but how do you represent a people while diminishing another and that's that's kind of my question here is like numbers don't lie there are less men now in higher education and things like that and is that a problem that will lead to some other dire consequences later down the road i don't know I would tend to think I would tend to think I would tend to think not or want that not because higher education is centered around free thought and diversity and like-minded people usually just come up with groupthink. So you would think that that's it's a tricky situation and a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. It's a very slippery slope even to even talk about it, but then it needs to be talked about because these mm -hmm. are the things that we should be talking about because it, it does come up in these books. And then we say, how, how do we respond to something like that? Oh, well, we could don't talk the politics about it because then, well, you could lose your viewership because <laughs> you could say the wrong thing. But I don't think that we, we think that in this, I don't think that me, neither me or you really are saying there's something wrong. There is something that may have been inherently wrong with the system but there is a balance to all things. And I think that that we definitely believe take the same approach on that. Absolutely. We are that Look, there is women, a middle way. Women, um, people that don't identify as, as male or female, right. Um, people exploring, uh, both sides of the aisle, so to speak, as far as, um, anything goes, I guess you, you name it in today's day and age. You know, like, I think there's room for it all. There is room for it all and to celebrate it all. And, mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, and this is the one thing that it's interesting, that there's nothing wrong with the white male. You can still be a white male and say, you know what? I'm okay with where I realize that there are some things that have created inadequacies and inequality. Mm -hmm. And so I can work on changing that in myself, but there's nothing wrong with me inherently. And that's the other thing is, is to be a white male is also a problem to some people because, oh, look, you impressed people. I didn't, or at least I try not to. 
And if I do, uh, it's totally unconscious and not my intention. Yes, and it's maybe out of ignorance that it's it's just slippery slope. But what I do think, though, however, is that I can identify with the fact that this is what I am, and I can try to be the best version of me that I can, and celebrate the things that I am. I mm -hmm. am male. I do enjoy some masculine things about myself. I enjoy that. That's something that, that that's for me to celebrate and be part of. And that's, that's your identity. That's how you identify. And that, and that's fine. And that, and mm -hmm. to say that anybody who identifies with the same stuff is fine. I can enjoy that, but I I'm okay to be me. And I think that it's when we try to say it's not okay to be you. You need to be something different. Now, if I was out of awareness, though, at the same time, you realize that there are some things that have happened in the past. And my job is, to, and my legacy is to make this world better than what I came in with. So it's a, it is a double-edged double sword sometimes. Mm -hmm. that we all lead and i think that he definitely brings that out in this that this is is a very big topic well, and I'm i don't think we solve it. it yeah we try well we don't and i don't think we shy away i think we talk about it up front and say this is this is this is here and i think that be precise is that kind of statement where you're saying this is the baby monster we don't mm -hmm. talk about it and unless we talk about it, it doesn't get resolved. And, and it may ruffle some feathers. Well, I think it's okay. So I'm going to tie it all in right now in my head and try to make sense of it verbally. <laughs> okay. So it's kind of like, you know, we do see a lot of um, extremes right now. Um, and people will disagree with me and that's okay. I respect your opinion. Send us an email or you know a message on on instagram whatever it is you know like let us know what your thoughts are um but i think you do see a lot of um groups right now that are minority groups that really have been oppressed um and you know there's tons of variables as to why a person would be oppressed it's not necessarily just because um, some people wanted to oppress them. I think a lot of things happen unconsciously without a lot of thought, unfortunately. Whether or not it was intentional or not intentional in a lot of instances. You know, obviously, things like slavery, that was intentional. That wasn't good. <laughs> Lots of issues because of that. However, now, um, you know, a lot of the issues, if it's not intentional, then how do we go about that? Um, but okay, so you have people that now are signing up and they're angry. And they're like, hey, uh, we've been mistreated. We don't have rights like everyone else. We deserve rights like everyone else. There's no reason for us not to. And people are trying to control us and tell us what to do. And that is not okay. So we're starting a revolution. We're going we're gonna to make things right. Okay, nothing wrong with that. Until, in my opinion, until the oppressors become or the oppressed become the oppressors and they come out with this resentment according to rule 10 uh things were suppressed for a long time right 
minority groups and their rights, they were suppressed. And now it's like, hey, this thing is a dinosaur. This is a huge dragon in our home, right? our country, our society, whatever you want to have the analogy be for the home. But it's here now and it's big and we need to address it and approach matters. And sometimes people that are angry and resentful, their approach really sucks. I will listen to you as long as you're not demeaning and being rude. If you want to get your point across to me, be kind about it. No, I think most people, um, even if they're not the greatest at listening, they're more prone to listen if you approach them in a kind, thoughtful, but assertive manner. And I think a lot of what is happening is you get a lot more hate speech on both sides of the aisle these days. And that's really disheartening because very important movements that are just in their cause are coming across in a very negative light because of um, the abrasive and, and attacking approach. It's very interesting. And it's, and I think it's always the few like the, the less than 1% people that we see that creates the bad image in our mind. Because the, the thought is not bad. The, the, the thing that they're fighting for is not bad. It's those people that are throwing stones back at the police or doing something negative that keeps us from thinking that we need to really see what they're saying. Or... It's just interesting. I mean, change, and he says this very poignantly that change, and I think he's saying that change is hard. Change is something that is very hard. And, you know, the lady that had, the lady divorced, the divorce lady that he was talking about in chapter 10, where she thought all of her life was this way. And then all of a sudden she finds out her husband cheats. And then she's questioning her entire relationships throughout her life. And it's when we build our house like that. And, and, and most of us do that. And from a Buddhist point of view, I mean, this is falls right against, you know, it, it's totally what our mind does. <laughs> it builds things and creates things that are really not true. And he brings up so many poignant things in this. Cars that you don't know are problems until they are broken and we just associate ourselves with things like my family my car and none of them truly are our even our body parts are really not us if you lose a hand are you are you less of a human because you lose your hand oh my hand is gone you know oh are you your hand no you're not your hand you know mm -hmm. there's a sense from a buddhist perspective that nothing and he kind of brings this up the emptiness the nothingness that we really make, create the things in our head. And I think it goes along with our problems that we think that if we were to take a look at it from another point of view, saying that we focus on the things that we're more similar to, we might be able to talk about the things that are different. If we were to bring up that I am your brother, I am your sister, because I have the same sense of love. I still want to be happy. I want to be, there are some basic root elements that are human. 
if we could get to that bottom line, and that's definitely a Buddhist, this is a Buddhist thought, um, that if we can get down to that level, then the things that we think are the big issues really won't, they'll disappear because we'll be so focused on having compassion for each other and love for each other that we'll forget about the problems and the issues that are created because we'll be too focused on how can I benefit you? How can I listen to your story? That's what he brings up when he's talking about listening intently and being precise in your words. Listening is a fine art of having compassion and respect for somebody else. And the only way to listen, truly listen, is to really have compassion for who you're listening to, to have love for what they're saying and who they are. Oh, I so appreciate who you are because you're just somebody like me. And when you can start really listening with compassion and love in your heart, it changes the world because you're no longer focused on the differences. You're like, I love you because you are you and I can celebrate you as you are. And when you go to that bottom line of love, then that embraces that diversity in a different way. It comes at it in a different way because you're focusing on the similarities to yourself that I can understand feeling oppressed. And even if you weren't really that oppressed, you can, you can put yourself into their shoes and say, I can imagine how hard that must be. Have some empathy. And having some empathy, true empathy, compassion that is limitless, that really sees people as important as really needing to be heard. And if we had more of that in this world, that's what he's talking about. Celebrating our differences is just a part of saying, I see namaste is that same statement again. It's that same where I see the beauty in you, the God in you. I see the divine in you. And I enjoy that about you. And you can be you, but I can love you for you and that's and that's so important and that's something that is so not focused on and when we talk about you know marching on and getting these things sometimes it's and i do see sometimes where you know martin luther king maybe being one of them focusing on the love realizing that there were problems inherent in the system and he needed to do something but peacefully trying to take care of it getting people aware by crossing a bridge and saying, look, this is not, should not happen like this, but I'm not going to hit you. Yeah. I'm going to peacefully demonstrate my needs so that you're aware that I do have these needs and hopefully you, and there are so many stories that were not the police who were hosing people down and trying to prevent people from crossing bridge. There were so many people that joined them. There were, there was, there were stories about that where people that were in the same area as them said, I'm going to join the March too with them because I support who they are. I want them to, I, I see them and I want, and I love them. And there's so many of those stories too. Well said. I, I was trying to practice listening there while you spoke. And I, and you know, I think, 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, your, your basic message is that we do have more in common than we have different. Our aspirations are the same. Maybe we have different approaches to it, but what we want is beneficial for not only me, but hopefully everyone. And we can, we can work together for these goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's a, an example right there, which is, he talks about is, which is active listening. Um, that's the therapeutic term for it, but that active listening also invites people to tell you this story. And that's what he says in this book quite a bit. And I know that you have some stories and I know that you can't share personal stories, but I know that as a therapist, a good active listener is some, that's what a good therapist is, is a very good active listener. It doesn't mean agreeing with them, but actively listening and having empathy and compassion for them while they're telling their story. And yeah, um, I like that he brought up from his own experience, right? That sometimes he talks more and sometimes he listens more. And I can say that is true for me as well. And it definitely depends on what's going on. Um, a lot of the times people come to therapy seeking advice. They want to be told what to do. And there is, uh, uh, I mean, you talk to most good therapists and they're probably going to tell you that um, people need to realize that they already probably have the answers. They already probably know um, what's best for them. And, you know, a, a therapist will probably respond. And, and a lot of the time when someone's asking for advice, well, it depends, <laughs> you know, because it's like, it really is. There's a lot of gray area and I don't know all the things, all the nuances, all the stuff that have happened in your life. We'd have to sit here and basically repeat your entire life which would mean if you're 30 years old 30 years later i will have a complete understanding of your life up to that point but the next 30 years would then have to be recounted to me you know there's no way there's just no way for a therapist to know the right answer for you and if you're going to a therapy session with that then i invite you to um adjust your expectations therapists will listen to you and reflect on what's going on and maybe provide some input as to different ways of thinking about it or maybe point out things that are um, outside of your conscious awareness to bring it to your awareness and i love that he brings up the idea that you know if people talk they usually um can share different things or come up with ideas. I once got advice from uh, from a training, a clinical training, that if a, if a person comes back to you and says, remember when you told me this, uh, this one thing, uh, such and such? Well, I tried it and it worked. It was great. But maybe you didn't actually say that to them. Um, they were just doing their own processing. Maybe it was something that you thought of during a therapy session or after the therapy session. Like that happens a lot in therapy where someone thinks that you gave them this idea and you really didn't. It was them figuring it out. 
how cool is that? You know, so people can and do figure things out just simply from being able to talk about it and think about it and get those ideas out. I love that. And that's, that's a conveying an idea that that's what meditation is about and why Buddhists rely on meditation. And he says it several times. I always love books that have the meditation being part of a serious part of people who are trying to figure things out is that knowing where you're at, because you hold most of the answers to the things that are going on for yourself. You hold the answers and meditation has a tendency to bring that out, especially when it is uh, either guided or self-guided. But we usually in the Buddhist world, we have objects of meditation. And so the objects are basically things that you like bringing up compassion. How can I bring up, how can I have compassion? And so we think about people that we know, some familiar objects of, oh, my! I love my mom. I really have compassion for my mom. And then we start expanding that to others, you know, first to family or maybe acquaintances, and then maybe even to our enemies, if we can get to that level of understanding. But the thought process behind it in generating compassion or love for those individuals is it's that we have the answers to solve our own problems by sending out love because we're still involved in the sending love part. We're involved in the compassion part and learning about ourselves part. And that moment where you're meditating is that centeredness to where you can stop the filter and see things the way that they are. And that's why therapy is so important as well is being being able to go to somebody that may not know you, but they give you an opportunity to center yourself and see things at a higher 20,000 foot level. Because when you're in the weeds, it's hard to see the forest. You know, we say you can't see that, but I mean, I'm talking about some people are just in the weeds. Like they're just yeah. so caught up in the weeds that they can't even see the trees. It's not a less the forest. So when you're that caught up, meditation, therapy of any type, um, you know, listening to podcasts, <laughs> mm -hmm. have the ability to uplift the soul and be able to see things that you didn't see before and be able to express and see feelings, being able to see the mental constructs. Because a lot of times we only have room for a certain amount of players on the stage. And so if we're caught up with anger and you know we have our player, the anger, we have like, we can imagine this stage where you, know, we, you can only have a certain amount of people on the stage at any given time. And our mind is very much like that. You can only have a few players on the stage. Anger is, and if you only have anger on the stage, he's usually kicking everybody else off, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. if you're always angry, you let that, he doesn't have room. You don't have room to let happiness in or love or compassion or, you know, anything else, joy 
you don't have abilities because anger is just kicking everybody off the stage. But when you're able to silence anger and let a few more people on the stage, like happiness and joy, who usually go together, right? Happiness, joy, and love. They usually get on the stage and are harmonious together. But you only are able to do that if you uplift yourself and get some of these other characters off. And that's what therapy and meditation do is they help you see things in a different light so that you can see these other players and let them into your life and facilitate different things for yourself. It doesn't mean that anger is a bad thing. You know, we, we've talked about that several times on this podcast that anger does, does have a place. Righteous anger has a place, but letting him control the role, the stage and kick everybody else off is not the right approach. Right. Cause then that's just, he's it controlling everything else. Right. It can't be, you know, uh, you know, I think that's really the message of, of, I mean, most of the time, what we come back to is like, you know, uh, try to just have a balanced life. You know, you need a balanced diet for your gut and your gut is directly related to your mental health. Okay. Your physical health is directly related to your mental and vice versa. So if you have to have a balanced diet for what you put into your stomach, you need a balanced diet for your brain, for your social, um, life, the people around you, you know, um, I mean, and, and this is nothing new. You know, we've talked about balance, like the yin and the yang. How old is that? You know, like this is old wisdom. This is wisdom of the ages. And we learned in rule nine, he talks about this, right? That there, there is um, things um, in the past that you remember so that you are prepared for the future, right? It, it, um, and, and these things from the past, this wisdom of the ages, everything is in balance, you know, like that, that's, that's so important. Um, and even, even as, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, about rule 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding and he goes into like the male privilege thing. And, you know, are we going too far against why males, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm just reminded regardless of whether or not. You're on you're on the side of the, the more of the burnout. The last book that we read, um, you know, that fight the patriarchy, or if you're more on on the side of, of this book, right, which is like ah, you know, people are fighting too much against you know this idea of the patriarchy and that white men are now the enemy, um, and that's bad. You know, these are two pretty opposite beliefs here. Um, can you be more in the middle? You have the yin and the yang. You have the force from, you know, Star Wars. I mean, we have the right and the left. And you need both both of, of these sides, you know, conservative and liberal. Um, but, you know. He even brings that up. He even brings that up, which is so interesting because even the right and left think that they're so right and they can't see the other person's point of view because they think they're so caught up in their rightness. Mm -hmm. If you talk to a conservative, yes, that's why they're conservative. And they want to, they believe that this is the right way to live their life and they're staunch about it. And the problem is they can't actively listen to the other side. 
very well. It's Romeo and Juliet. Again, how old is this wisdom? <laughs> right. You know? Like, come on. And we're having a movie come out soon by Steven Spielberg called The West Side Story. <laughs> if you know that storyline, this is also two extremes, two sides that don't get along, and yet you have two people. It's just Romeo and Juliet in a different setting. <laughs> You know? That is what, that is actually West Side Story. It's actually the yeah. more modern day Shakespeare. Uh, yeah. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Well, like you know, it's it's this idea that can can people from opposite lives actually come together and harmoniously coexist? And, and the answer is yeah. And the answer is yes, but it takes what he's talking about here is actively listening. I love his approach to how to active listen, which is, can you repeat what the other person said in a way that they fully think that you understood them? And that means most of the time explaining it so well that you fully understand because you have to understand it almost better than the person that gave the speech or the other side, right? Yeah, you have to be able to be succinct in it. Otherwise, you're just repeating verbatim. And right, and that's the. And then once you really understand, you're like, wow. And once you sit in somebody else's shoes, so there there is power behind empathy. There is power behind it. There is such intention mm -hmm. because you now have fully seen somebody else. Well, not maybe fully, but as best as you can seeing what it is to be somebody else. And when you can see with that compassion, because you have to have compassion to be able to do this, to actively listen like this, you have to be able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and be able to say, I understand. And it is such a good place to be because then you could fully love them for who they are. And it actually, the interesting thing about loving somebody else and having compassion is that it actually becomes, it lightens us and makes us more happy. It's actually the true way of happiness because we don't realize that when we, un, we start really focusing in on somebody else, it lessens our problems. I think that's amazing. Mike dropped. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, I love it. And that's I, I that's what drew me to Buddhism was this this thought process. And that was why it was so earth shattering. But it wasn't it, when I start looking at it, it's what you're talking about is wisdom of the ages. That's why Socrates was looking and he brought up Socrates. He was mm -hmm. looking because he realized that he didn't know anything. And that was the the wisdom that he said. If you listen to some if you if you pull away, you know, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Um, you'll realize that Socrates was in it and he said, the only true wisdom is we don't know anything. You know, we don't know anything really. And really when understanding, you, know, you don't know, right. Even when you think, you know, you don't know. And I think that that was the only true wisdom that Socrates actually left us with was that that kind of, you know, he left us with a ton of other stuff, of course, but that was one of the things where you never get to the end. You never truly that's the reason why when we have this thought, this this discussion about masculinity versus that is such a deep hole 
of going down because you can, okay, I can have compassion for females and try to be part of understanding them better. And that is very important for males to know, especially that ones that want to interact and be in a relationship with one of any type Mm -hmm. is to understand the femininity, understanding what the thinking is and the process and what they have to go through. And, and it's, it's an endless rabbit hole, but it also is part of the journey. And understanding that joy of that journey is what is life. It's what brings meaning is those pieces of trying to understand someone else and trying to love someone else deeply without judgment. So moral of the story. Yes. Just treat people kindly. Listen. Listen to hear and repeat like they have something to say yeah just a, yeah that's the like rule they I know mean... something you don't know right <laughs> they have wisdom and you will learn from them that wisdom and then you know if you are going to speak be precise speak up share be assertive be courageous don't let things um fester don't let it become uh poison to the soul and then lastly you know, rule 11, even though he goes off on a tangent, I think it's actually a really good rule, right? That is that you you got to let people grow and develop. You can't control people. You can't protect someone their whole life or they do not grow to become a strong person. And I think you mentioned that before, right? Is that we want people to be strong. We want people to be confident. We don't want them to be aggressive or bullies or, or have to resort to violence. And if people follow these rules, you don't have to resort to violence because you're listening, one, and so you understand each other better. And two, you're speaking assertively and truthfully. And so there's no way for people to misunderstand what you're saying if they're listening and you're speaking articulately. And then, you know, you're allowing people to grow. You're not, you're not, in any way, shape, or form, trying to prohibit a person from experiencing life and learning. You know, and though you don't have to worry about toxic masculinity, if everyone's just following these rules, it won't happen. Won't happen. (laughs) Right. Absolutely right. And that's, isn't that a truth? I think that the last rule is a parenting rule as well. I think about that often especially when it came to raising because when your first kid you're so worried about them all the time it's your first kid you don't have the experience that older parents have which i'm an older parent now and i've had abilities to take a look at my mistakes from when i was a younger parent and i was maybe a tad overbearing with my with my youngest daughters but with with my son Caden, i'm very much more I still want things to turn out for him, but I realize that the control mechanisms can't be there, that they have to learn for themselves um, and let them make their own mistakes. Be there for them. Keep them within the buoys. Um, There are still things that are life-threatening, you know, like don't let them go off and do drugs, but additionally let them experience life, but just, you know, let them know that there's boundaries. 
And I think being a parent is more about boundary setting and keeping them within, you know, a certain path, mm-hmm. knowing, knowing where the lanes are, helping them know where the lanes are is kind of a way of how I parent now is here's the lanes, stay in the lanes. <laughs> if yeah. you go off the lanes, there's going to be some problems, but stay in the lane. These are where the lanes are. And then when they know where the lanes are, and then they, they sometimes will divvy off the lanes, know that there's consequences for divvying off the lanes. And sometimes as a parent, you have to make consequences for that and be prepared to make those consequences out of love. A loving parent knows that I set these lane boundaries and these are the boundaries for life and it is important. So letting them skateboard, you know, is really a analogy for letting them people live their life. You can't control them. And, and in 10, he's also talking about the ability that life is not controllable. Things will happen. And as soon as you think that this life is solid, it changes on you and shows it's fluid. And that's a Buddhist thought of emptiness, that nothing is solid. Nothing is fully what you think it is. It is empty. We put the meaning, we put the things in that makes it seem solid, but then when it changes, which it will do, <laughs> change is inevitable, then it helps with that. the philosophy of understanding that everything will change. Um, you will understand that that's why technology stops being important to you after a certain while, because it, the technology becomes irrelevant. Mm, you know, yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's exactly what he's talking about is that change is inevitable and allowing kids to understand that change is inevitable and not trying to control the horizontal and vertical is another way of teaching the story that the world is full of change. It's impermanent. It is in the impermanent when you understand that impermanence is a law then you don't have expectations of it being anything different. So if a spouse cheats on you, you know, yes, that happened. goes back to that Shanti Deva thought where, okay, now what? Can I change it? No, I have to accept it. This is what has happened. Yes, it has happened. Now, what can I do about it? I can let it be. I can feel the emotions that come up from it. I can seek to you know, do something and grieve or whatever it is that comes from those emotions, but trying to make it something that, you know, being less than what it is, this world is impermanent and understanding that rule is so important. And it lets you understand that, yes, that is what it is. Yes. It helps you realize that this world isn't solid and you can't build your life upon it. It's impermanent. And when you know that it's always fluid, then nothing surprises you anymore. That's the fun thing. It releases you from judgment of or control or anything else that goes along with that because you're realizing that it's always fluid. Oh, that's happened? Oh, that's that's crazy. You can just say that's crazy. Wow, that's happened. You know, maybe you don't even have to say it's crazy because that's judgment. That's just, you just, yes, this is the way the world is. Yes, people cheat on each other. People uh, cut you off in traffic. 
But when you see them, you realize, oh, well, I don't understand their full story of why they did this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have compassion. Having compassion for people that cut you off is a practice of patience and a practice of compassion. You have it's a patience good place for to start too, because that's going to happen a lot. <laughs> so, it is. Practice that road rage maintenance. Now, um, <laughs> listeners, thank you for for sticking around and 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 um, hanging out with us during this. You are probably thinking, "I thought it was the Thich Nhat Han book today. Why are you guys still talking about this?" And you would be very astute to recognize that because in the last episode we did say that we would be wrapping up Jordan Peterson's book and diving into Thich Hans. We did not do that. We are out of time to do that. We did not finish Jordan Peterson's book yet. It is a big book and there are a lot of rules. I have not read the 12th rule yet. Um, so we should have said that at the beginning, shouldn't we have, Andy, right? Disclaimer. We're, we there's no, there's no, we're not, we're not, we're not going to shit on ourselves, but we are going to say, <laughs> yes, but we are going to say that, uh, we are going to make, we're, we're doing our best. This is, this was, I think both of us agreed that this was an excellent book. Um, and I definitely went into the Buddhist diatribe today, but I do believe that these books and the rules are very meaningful and, I think that there's a lot to uncover and I don't think that we would do justice in this book or any book, honestly, mm -hmm. that we don't really take an investigation into what this is. And this is such, it's, there's a lot of pages in this book for sure. And so, but we wanted to do justice by it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one thing that me and Brian are dedicated to in this podcast is understanding fully so that we can have context and then have a very good discussion about around it so that people who listen to this podcast can have those discussions amongst themselves and maybe even with us. And how would people, yeah. if they wanted to get a hold of us, how would they get a hold of us, Brian? Guruspodcast1 at gmail.com. Send us an email. Go ahead and check us out on um, Instagram. It's gurus.podcast. That's our, that's our handle. So check us out there. We also have a Facebook page now. It's uh, also the same thing as, as the Instagram. It's gurus.podcast. So look for us on there. And we also um, uh, just, I, I don't know where else we can be found. We're, We're on Twitter. We're Twitter, on Twitter, that's right. Why do I keep forgetting about Twitter? Uh, probably because I've never used Twitter myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is one that is outside my realm of knowledge and experience. So I have thought about putting ourselves on TikTok. I'm just letting you know that I've thought about it. It would, uh, we could just do snippets from our podcast. And I yeah. might, I might do that just because that's what I've been trying to do with my other show so that I can get my, get the word out there. We're also on Podchaser now. So I'm hoping right. that we get more folks interested in. Are, I mean, we just have, I think that, and this is something that I'm, and I am biased. I think that what we're talking about and where we're coming from is some very good, solid places for helping people. And so. so what I'm hoping, and this is for the, the listeners, is that you can share this with whoever. And if you have suggestions on how we could make this better, or you think that, uh, you know, hey, um, 
something that maybe some appreciation or gratitude or something, you know, anything that you want to message us with doesn't have to be negative. We also love to hear positive. Um, We would love to hear from you and see what you have to say. I have a couple of listeners that reach out here and there, um, but we would love to see more and see our little family grow. So please tell us about, send us to your friends and family and uh, Mm. we would love to have them part of our show as well. And, you know, listening because we don't do the show without wanting to think about our listeners. And uh, it's very important on our minds to be able to be helpful. And, and uh, I think that's a big piece of being mindfulness. Absolutely. We're a book club. Clubs are, they need people to exist. (laughs) Keep spreading the word. Um, So next time, next time on Guru's uh, self-improvement, um, well, book club and self-improvement, we will, um, we, I truly think we'll wrap up Jordan Peterson because there's only one chapter left <laughs> and it is, it is as of this recording, uh, we're recording on November 1st. And so we're starting, um, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, um, um, which is, uh, the power, what was it called? Oh my. The art of, the art of the power. Art, the art of power. Yes. And so we will, we will dig into that. Make sure you buy that copy on, well, from your places where you buy your books. And we'll see you next time. Take care.